Right. Guys, I want to tell you this morning about a God who does new things. Do me a favor and say out loud, new things. New things. Old things. Old things. No. New things. Yes. I, I want to let you know that God's not against the old. What he's against is when the old becomes stale. God is also against new things just for the sake of newness. Because new doesn't mean new in, 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 in content. It's usually new in expression. It's usually new in format. It's an infrastructure that might be new, but it's the same message and it's the same God and it's the same Jesus. So this morning we're going to talk about, and here's the title of my sermon, When God Works New Things. Should I even ask how many of you have set New Year's revolutions? Or, I mean, resolutions. <laughs> Did any of you start a diet today? No. <laughs> How many of us should have started a diet today? <laughs> okay. All right. So as we think about God working new things, I want to tell you a few things about God and his character. And then I want to look at a little passage from the book of Isaiah. Maybe if time allows a couple of examples of God doing new things that I will tell you, when God does a new thing, sometimes it stretches you to discomfort. And a lot of us don't like change. We, we like comfort. <laughs> Some of us, even to the point of, you're used to coming to church and you've got your seat, right? And if somebody else is sitting in your seat, what are you going to do? Can I go to church that day? I don't know where to sit. I told somebody last week, I said, well, you know, our philosophy is we don't save chairs. We save souls. We don't save seats. But anyway, when things happen that are new, new implies oh, a wonderful thing. But a lot of new things can be very difficult. But I want to let you know, I want to tell you something about God. I want to tell you that he's always at work. I want to tell you that sometimes when he works, it doesn't make sense. And I want to tell you that he loves to do new. So... That's where I, I, I want to start this morning, and then we're going to pop into Isaiah for a few minutes. God never takes a day off. Now, that was a hard concept for the people in Jesus' time. The Pharisees, those who believe that you cannot do anything on the Sabbath, because God took a Sabbath. Well, I want you to hear what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 17, when he healed somebody on the Sabbath, and then the people got all upset because it was on the wrong day. Healing's okay, but just don't do it on our holy day. And here's what Jesus said. I'm not going to go through the whole conversation, but the final conclusion of it is in chapter 5, verse 17. And it says, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, the idea is even until now, he hasn't stopped and he ha he's continuing to work. It's a past action that is, that is 
unstoppable. And even today, on the Sabbath, he's working, and I myself is, am working. Here's, here's the principle. God always is at work. True? Yeah. Where is he at work? Everywhere. He's at work in the world. But actually, on a smaller micro scale, he's at work in you. Do me a favor and just point, point your finger into the face of whoever you're sitting next to and say, God's working in you. That's right. See, I'm going to make preachers out of all of you. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul said this, that he who began, he who, let me see, is it up there? He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So who's at work? God's at work. Where's he at work? In you. How many of you need a little bit of work? Mm -hmm. Husbands, how many of your wives need a little? No, no, we won't go there this morning. Philippians 2.13. Check out what the Apostle Paul also wrote about God's work. For it is God who is at work in you. Where's God at work? In you. Yeah, he's at work around you too, but he's at work in you. In you, I got to tell you this: If you know Jesus Christ, if you've invited Him to be the Lord of your life, you have relinquished control of your life, and you've said, "God, would you please work in me? Would you do something in me?" Now, for some of you, that'll be a very painful work, and some of you, that'll be a very glorious work. Do any of you have hurts and bitterness and anger and frustrations that God needs to purge? Don't raise your hand, okay? but just point. <laughs> God is at work where? In you. in you. He's at work in me. When will he stop? Well, actually, the verse we just read before this said he will do it until a certain point, until the day of Jesus Christ. So whether you die or whether Jesus comes, God is guaranteeing that he's going to work in you until that moment. And so for most of us, that means God's going to, he's got some more work to do. But aren't we, come on, I've been a Christian, let me, let me do some quick math, I've been a Christian for over 50 years, so I've already got my badge, right? I got my badge, I got my check mark, I'm done, I'm, I'm prime, prime choice, whatever, you know, I thought, no. now he's working in you, but he worked in me for 50 years, and now I got it together. <laughs> you ought to look at my wife right now, right? <laughs> Look, I've been a Christian for over 50 years. Some of you have been Christians for almost as long. Some of you are brand new in your walk with Jesus. And I got good news for you. He constantly will work in you. And you would think in 50 years he would have, he would have done, got me where I'm supposed to be. But this is just where I'm at. This is what you get, guys. And I'm still in process. God is what? At work in me, in you. He is at work, and this verse says, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work, and here it comes, for his good pleasure. Wait a minute. Are you trying to say, Mick, that when I come to Jesus and when I invite him to be the Lord of my life, that he's going to work in me, but not necessarily in a way that makes me more comfortable, that not necessarily... Arises, raises me up in my social status. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. 
is he's going to do what pleases him in you. That is a hard concept because a lot of us have bitten the apple of spoiled theology that when we come to Jesus, we think that everything's going to just flow and flow easy and flow well. I got news for you. The Bible says, count it all joy when you go through, somebody help me, various trials. Now, did you notice? In God's word, it's very specific. Not count it all joy if you go through various trials. That's not there. Count it all joy when. There's a difference between if and when. If means it's maybe optional. It may or may not happen. When means it's going to happen. Guys, I got news for you. You're going to experience difficulties. Aren't you blessed now for coming to church on this New Year's Day? Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have affliction. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But what I want you to notice is that God never stops working in you. How many of you don't want details? But how many of you have ever done something and you know that God wasn't pleased and you felt the conviction, you felt the, the slime of the world because you kind of slipped? Anybody? Three of you? Five of you? Yes. We're a pretty holy gathering. But the truth is, even that discomfort, even that misery that we feel when we disobey him is an evidence of his work in our life. I feel crummy because I did this. Maybe you lied. Maybe you cheated. Maybe you, you did something that wasn't right. And you, I feel so crummy. And you go, praise the Lord. Because that's his way of telling you, that's his litmus test, that what you're doing is not right. Let's get it right. He's at work in you. And sometimes what he needs to do is shine the light on some of the stupid things that we do. He needs to show us by his word where our hearts are so self-engaged and self-exalting we're doing it our way, and he needs to point it out. You've got to stop if you want to be blessed. By the way, first day of a new year, how many of you want to be blessed in 2023? Raise your hand. I want to be blessed. All right. Now, how many of you want to go through suffering in 2023? Okay. Well, then I'm going to tell you that the line is the same line. If you want to be blessed, you will go through difficulties. You will go through suffering. If you want to be blessed, and you go, that's not the kind of feel-good message I wanted to hear. I came to church on the good grief. I got up, had my breakfast, came to church on New Year's Day. And now you're telling me I'm going to suffer. You're supposed to tell me some good things, man. Well, here's the good thing. God will use all the difficulties, even all the good things that happen to you, to work in you because he's molding you. I have now outlived my dad by about 16 years. My dad died pretty young. And it hits me, you know, as I kind of grew to the point and aged to the point that I was the same age about when my dad died, I'd look in the mirror and I saw that's the image of my dad. I got a lot of his DNA. I got a lot of his personality. If you think I'm dorky, that's my dad's fault, okay? I got it. 
from him. I'm a lot like my dad. I'm like a, a little mini version of my dad. He was taller. I would say better looking, but the fact is we look the same. I, he was totally good looking. <laughs> but here's the thing that hit me is I look in the mirror now and I don't see my dad. I see what my dad may have looked like had he lived to be as old as his son is. And man, that was kind of a weird paradigm shift for me, is to see, I'm looking at a version of my dad that I never got to see. But here's the picture. When we come to Jesus, the Bible says that the DNA of Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is put into us. And that DNA, he wants us to look like our daddy. He wants us to look like Jesus. Not necessarily physically, and we won't physically, but in the book of 2 Corinthians, it says that we all with unveiled face, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What? When you look in a mirror and you see you changing over the years, God's plan is that you would see more and more of him. Don't be looking at the wrinkles. Don't be looking at the, you know, the, 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 the hair that's thinning. Don't be looking at the receding hairline. Don't be looking at the grays that we need to pull or color or whatever. No, you look and are you seeing a little bit more of God's love, of God's truth? Are you seeing a little bit more of Jesus? Because if not, something's wrong. But God is at work. Now, I think God is super creative. Would any of you agree with me on that one? In the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God... Created, And it goes on to talk about the heavens and the earth. And it goes on to talk about all the details of the week of creation and all this stuff. That he is super creative. You remember just before he created Eve out of the rib of Adam? He put Adam into a deep sleep. But before that, he sent Adam through an exercise. He had Adam go through all of the animals and name them all. And that was with a purpose. Not because they needed names, but because Adam needed to see that there was nothing, no other creation that was like him. There was no other one that was suitable to be his, his partner. And so then God put him to sleep. Sometimes the best way if you're looking for a woman or if you're looking for a man is let God put you to sleep. And let God bring the person to you. Completely different message. But when Adam woke up, when God had taken his rib while he was sleeping and he fashioned this woman, I got to think, she was probably pretty good looking, wouldn't you think? Best looking woman in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and it says, when Adam saw her, I love the way the Living Bible puts it. This is it. I paraphrased that to say, whoa, man. For this, she was called woman. Woman. See, it all fits together. Thank you for that courtesy laugh from the second row, yeah. But here's the deal. God is incredibly creative, and sometimes the way God works is beyond what we would even ask or think, and sometimes it's backwards than what we would even ask or think. But God is incredibly creative, and he can't be stumped by whatever your situation is. Did you hear that? So why should we be discouraged? Because God already knows what he's going to do. Yeah, he wants us to obey him, 
and he wants us to be responsible, and, and there's a reap what you sow kind of thing. That's going to happen, but God already knows what you're going to experience, and he's going to walk with you through it, and he's going to be committed to molding you to be more like Jesus through it. Now, that's a pretty good coach, and, and paraclete is the word in the scriptures, one that walks alongside and brings encouragement. I love the fact that God's committed to me. How about you? He's super creative. He's even surprising. Second thing I want you to know about God. First thing is that God is, is, is at work and he's a creative worker. The second thing I know is that sometimes, or I want you to know is that sometimes his work does not make any sense to us. In the little book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk, however you want to say it, chapter 1, verse 5, the Lord speaks to this prophet. This prophet's supposed to speak a message to the people. Now, here's a point where the prophet has watched or heard of the northern kingdom of Israel being conquered by Assyria in 722 BC. We are several years now later when God has told the southern kingdom of Judah that you guys better start obeying. You guys better start following. And he sent prophets to tell them, or you likewise will be conquered. And the people ignored the prophets. They ignored the warning of God. And so God raises this prophet called Habakkuk. And he gives him this message. And here's what Habakkuk is supposed to tell them. Verse 5 of chapter 1. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I'm doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. Habakkuk, you can't even guess what I'm doing. You can't even guess what I've got planned. Well, what he goes on to tell him, that this is what I've got planned. You're not going to believe it. I'm raising up this group of people called the Chaldeans, Babylonian. And I am going to raise them up and strengthen them, and they are going to come in and conquer your people. And Habakkuk has a difficult time with that. How are you going to use evil people to discipline your people? And God says, I told you you wouldn't believe it. My point here, I'm not going to explain what's all behind that, but sometimes God does stuff that is completely beyond what we would even think. Totally surprised. Sometimes his work doesn't make sense to us. I mentioned before that sometimes we bite into the apple of bad theology that suggests that if we know Jesus, everything's supposed to go really good. And some theologies even go to the point and say, we will never be sick. We will always be prosperous. The money will just flow and flow and flow. And the position and the strength will be more and more and more. But that doesn't square with God's word when he says, count it joy when you go through all kinds of various trials. When difficulties happen to you, what's your go-to response? Pray is a good one. And a lot of times our prayer is, God, I don't know what's going on. I want to tell you a story about a good friend of mine who's been going through some real physical things. Good, solid Christian friend. I wonder, Mick, she says, what God wants to teach me from this particular thing that she's going through. 
You know, there are times when God needs to teach us stuff. Would you agree? And there are times when we're pretty poor students. Would you agree with that too? But he loves us enough to keep the cycle going until we finally get it. The trials repeat. But there isn't, it's not always that God has something to teach us. As I had thought about my friend and prayed for, the thing that the Lord, I felt, gave me was this thing that she's going through is not because I want to teach her something, but I want to I teach the people in her circle that even when things don't go super well, even when things go confusing and there's uncertainty in your life, that, that I want to teach them that her faith in me is authentic and that I am worthy of having trust put in me. Now, are you willing to be used for that kind of an object lesson for people? Because God will. One of the things I had to come to grips with is that when I came to Christ and I offered myself, like the Apostle Paul says, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, and he says it's your reasonable service of worship. It's, it just makes sense to do that. If I'm going to present myself as a sacrifice, you know what usually happens to sacrifices? They're expendable. And I had to come to grips with, Lord, I believe you've called me to come out to this little desert town to start a church out here. Good grief, that was, that was almost 29 years ago. I look at my wife and I think, you can't be that old. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just want to see if you're with me. <clears throat> she looks at me and says, look in the mirror, pal. <laughs> but listen, when we give ourselves to God, we're saying, use me wherever you want me. Right. Yeah, well, what about, I, I mean, I've gone to Calvary Pastors Conference. <laughs> Somebody finds out that I've been a pastor 20, 25 years, you know, and during when I've had those conversations. Yeah, I've been out in Blythe for 25 years. Blythe? What is Blythe? And I try to explain what is Blythe, and they still have the idea of what is Blythe when I get done. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the place where we stop and pay overpriced gas or break down, right? That's, that's their thought. And so he said, Mick, you, one guy told me, Mick, you've been a pastor for 25 years in Blythe? And I said, yeah. And he says, what did you do wrong? <laughs> it's like... I didn't do nothing wrong. I just said yes. I said yes, Lord. And here's the interesting thing. It's sometimes the unique things that God does that sometimes surprise us. We end up rejoicing for them. And we find the goodness in them. Anyway, there are purposes of trials. Sometimes it's to purge us. There's stuff in our life that needs to be cut out. You know that. So do I. And we go through trials. Sometimes we reap what we sow. And God says, look what you did. You shouldn't do that anymore. Let's purge that out of you. Sometimes he just simply wants to prepare us. And it has nothing to do with what we have, what we deserve or cause. It's like, Mick, I want you to be a better testimony. So I'm going to let you go through this. Let's call it training. Let's call it preparing. And sometimes... Get this, you go through a trial because God knows if you didn't go through that trial or that physical infirmity or that thing, you would never go to the place where he wants you to go 
and position you for ministry, but he then uses you. I've got brothers that have chronic medical issues, and they have come to the point of where, and whenever they go, whether it's down, down to Eisenhower, whether it's Loma Linda, it's the VA, wherever they go, I'm here because I got a body problem, right? No, you're here because God wants you to smile at somebody and tell them that Jesus loves them even while you're going through a difficult time. And God positions us. I remember teaching that once and the next week being on uh, Highway 78 headed down to Yuma or something like that and having a flat tire. And thinking, okay, Lord, I preached on the weekend that sometimes you use trials to position us so we're in the right place. Well, here I am. So I get the tire changed off the side of the road. I end up going, do any of you remember when there was Winston Tires? You remember when that used to be? I went to Winston Tires, and lo and behold, while I'm getting my tire fixed and put on and stuff, I run into two guys who are waiting for their car, and I get to share the Lord with them. And it's like, yeah, but... And then you start thinking, was it worth it having that flat tire? Though that was a headache. But a servant of God says... You're at work in me, and whatever I go through, it's, it's to put me in a place where I could be a better, shining, reflecting mirror for Jesus. Is that making sense to anybody? So I got good news for you. You're going to go through difficult times this year, and part of it's going to be so God can put you in the right place to share his grace, your faith, with somebody else, and you can learn how to be peaceful during a hard time. Aren't you glad you came to church today? All right, so pop over to the book of Isaiah. I want to spend a few minutes there. And actually, before I read Isaiah, uh, Wyatt, I am going to uh, read the book, uh, read the statement from Revelation 21. From the start, Genesis 1, all the way to Revelation 21, the end, we see God as a creator, we see God as an incredibly creative creator, and we see God at work. Listen to what is said about him. Chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 5. And he who sits on the throne. Guess who that is, guys? That's the Lord God. He who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things. What is the word? New. New. And he said, right. He's telling John, right. Write what I just said. Right. For these words are faithful and true. What words are faithful and true? What words are so important that the Lord had to say, John, write them. That God makes things new. God makes things new. Okay. Um, And I guess before I jump into Isaiah, I do need to say this. The scripture, when it talks about something new, means one of two things. Number one, it could be brand new in existence. That is, it appears in time. It's now new. It wasn't there, and now it's there. Kind of like Eve. Whoa, I like this one. Yeah, it's new. It's creative. Good job, Lord. New things in time. You have a little baby. Ah. Wasn't there yesterday. Lady goes through all kinds of labor. Ah, baby. How you doing, wife? (laughs) Baby, you know. New thing. New in time. But there is another definition to the biblical word new, and it means fresh. It might mean the same old stuff, 
but now with a freshness. Old stuff has come alive. You know, I grew up in a church. I, I, I accepted the Lord when I was about 13, 14 years old. And I grew up in a church that used to sing some of the great old hymns of the faith really slow and almost like a dirge. I, over the years, and that's, you know, during that time, the Beatles came to town, you know, and all this stuff. And so my generation was exposed to a different kind of music. And I'd go to church and I would tolerate the music. (sighs) And I remember every Sunday, the guys would take the offering and then we would sing, Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 Lord God. You remember that song? And you take one of the best songs ever written, and to me it had become old and stale. Because it was just all over. Well then, I mean it was just all the time. Then I heard it done. You, You might know the name Keith Green. I heard Keith Green in a concert sing that old, stale, holy, holy, holy hymn. And all of a sudden it came alive to me and it has now become, I mean, that was 20-something years ago, and it has now become my favorite hymn of all time. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What I'm saying is, sometimes we do stuff and they're just routines over and over and over and over and we've lost the life. Sometimes God wants us to drop those things and pick up new things. Sometimes he wants to inject life into the old things. And see, that's his prerogative. The real deal is, if you and I live a Christian life that's kind of stale, don't don't confuse that with being blessed by God. I mean, when I was saved, there were some people that were super, super serious in the church that I was about... That, that I was a part of, and, and I, it's like they never smiled. And I later heard a phrase, they've been baptized in lemon juice. <laughs> and see, all of the truth was there, and the word of God was there, but the enjoyment and the fellowship with God didn't seem to be there. I don't know if I'm making sense to anybody, if you can understand this, but it was like, Religion, I can do without. I need a relationship with Jesus. And I found, check this out, that when I came to Jesus, some of those, the framing of the religious things that I thought were so stale over the years, I found out there's some pretty good stuff here. What happened? New life. God brought new freshness. Okay, over to Isaiah because I'm about done here. Not quite, but about. Isaiah 43, verse 18. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Now, I want to tell you who Isaiah is talking to here. He's talking to a bunch of people who have been taken captive, who have been displaced, who have been put in Babylon. Most of the Jews taken captive, put in Babylon... And he's telling them, quit thinking of the glory days of your past. You got to let the past go and grab onto the future. Don't ponder the things of the past. Do you remember when the Jews began to come back from captivity? You, some of you might remember the story of Nehemiah, who went to build the walls of the city and, 
and, and then the temple was built. And it says there were two responses when the temple was rebuilt. When Babylon had conquered the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 B.C., they destroyed the beautiful temple. Nehemiah comes, building project, beautiful temple, but it says there were some there that had seen the glory of the first temple that was destroyed. And they couldn't get over what a rinky-dink edifice this new one was because they were still living in the past. And that's where it's the word of the Lord comes and says, don't despise the small things. Don't despise the things that are different. I'm doing something new. Isaiah says, look, there's going to come a time when the Lord is going to refresh you in your land. Don't, and, and when that time comes, don't call to mind those former things. Don't be evaluating everything about how it used to be. How many of you drive a car while looking in the rearview mirror the whole time? Please don't, especially if I'm on the same street as you. Don't call to mind, that is, to set in mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. There's that word again. Now, it'll spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? And here's that cool question with that, will you not be aware of it? That's the way the New American Standard puts it. The, the, other, the uh, other versions and the idea behind this is, are you not going to see it when I do something new right in front of you? Are you going to miss it? Are you going to miss it? I'll even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. What an incredible picture. When you guys are free to go back into your land after 70 years of captivity, I am going to refresh the land. There's going to be water that flows through this dry, dead desert, so much so that the beasts of the field will glorify me. And then when he says the jackals and the ostrich, this is really a strange thing for a Hebrew mind to hear because jackals and ostriches were considered unclean animals. And here's the idea. Because I've given water to you to line your way for where I'm going to lead you, even the unclean animals are going to rejoice over you. Even the unclean animals are going to rejoice of the overflow of the blessing that I have for you. Guys, that's what God wants to do in your life is that even non-believers will take... Will, will, will appreciate the fact that you're serving your God and being so blessed by your God because they get some of the overflow of that. That's a beautiful picture. So are you ready? Are you willing for God to do something new? Yeah, but it might be uncomfortable. I guarantee you it's going to be uncomfortable. I had no idea what coming to Blythe was going to be like almost 29 years ago. We had worked as missionaries in Caracas, Venezuela. We had been in Costa Rica. And now we were going to be coming to Blythe to start a Calvary Chapel here in Blythe. In many ways, we found that coming to Blythe, and this I don't mean to sound insulting, but I want to tell you the truth. In many ways, coming to Blythe to start a new church was more like missionary work 
than it was when we went to Venezuela to do it. God sometimes, <laughs> he wants to do something new and different that you may or may not be thrilled about. Are you going to see it? Are you going to catch it when he does something new? And that's the big question. We start the year, we got new life. We got new life in Jesus. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins have been raised, have been made alive together. You got new life. The Bible says you got a new heart. Jeremiah talks about there will come a time when the Lord pours his spirit out on his people and he will give them a new heart and a new spirit. And that's that whole center, the focus of life, a new reason to live. You've seen the bumper sticker, he who has the most toys when he dies wins. Dumb philosophy. We're not here to get up, go to work, make money so we can buy clothes, buy food, eat, get dressed so we can get up to go work the next day. We're not in that cycle. That's like an Ecclesiastes, all is vain cycle. Here's the real deal. If God is going to do a work in you, he's got to put a new heart in you that says, what you want, Lord, is what I want. That, that I, I want to go for it. I'm willing to go for it. What's he doing? He's doing all kinds of things to fill this earth with people who are in fellowship with him, and he wants to use you and me to be carriers of his grace and his message. So what's this year going to look like? What's 2023 going to look like? In this congregation this morning, some of you are going to have death that touches your family and your friends. Some of you are going to have illnesses. Some of you are going to have remarkable healing from illnesses. And in every step of the way, God is at work. 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says, don't lose heart, though our outer man is decaying. Guys, you're a year older. You're only a day older than yesterday, but when we hit that calendar... I went ice skating for the first time in 40 years on Friday. What a bonehead move. I didn't fall once, and I will tell you that this new rink that's out in the Palm Desert area, for, uh, for us more seasoned people, they give what looks like walkers. They're, they're three, you know, it's a, it's a three-wall kind of thing, and it looks like a walker with walls. And you can grab onto it and you can... I was really boogieing all over that thing, you know. But listen, my body, my body can't cash the checks that my brain wants to make anymore. And that's, God says that's going to happen. Though the outer body is decaying, the inner man is being, here's that word again, made new again. Renewed, renewed. Some of you are going to go through family challenges. Some of you are going to go through financial challenges, some windfall profits, some challenges, difficulties. All of us are going to go through, if we stand for Jesus, we're going to go, go through a social anti-Christian pressure that continues to develop and will continue to develop until the coming of Jesus. 
anti-biblical value pressure. The things where you stand for life, you stand for truth, and you stand for justice is not popular. Biblical stuff. And no matter what happens, no matter how rough it gets, by the way, Jesus might come this year. Wouldn't that be cool? No matter what happens, let me end with this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved, you want to have a blessed new year? You want to have a fresh new year? Here's how to do it. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, whatever you do, is not in vain. The focus, here's the new heart. The new focus is that I'm going to serve you today. You wake up in the morning. (laughs) When morning, the old hymn says, when morning gilds the skies, my heart awakening cries. Does anybody know the next word? May Jesus Christ be praised. It's one of my old hymns that I learned. Come on, some of you older should know that. Lord, it's morning. What do you want to accomplish today? And to live for Jesus, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Guys, that's what I want to do this year. I don't know what's going to happen this year, but I know that God knows and I know he's ready to walk with me and to strengthen me and to anoint me with power every step of the way. I hope you know that. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be your followers. We want to be the ones that have the joy of seeing other people come to you this year. Lord, I pray that the way that we talk would be purified. I pray pray that the way that we think and we act would be purified. That you would build a new heart, not a legalistic one that we have to police each other with, but a wonderful, free and new heart that the Holy Spirit builds in us as we open our heart to your word. Father, I pray that you fill us and I pray that you give us just a wonderful start to what you have to do in this world this year. Guys, keep your head back.